what a great day to come and to celebrate, boys and girls, all of you. We're here to celebrate you. Can you believe that? You guys are pretty special. We're here to celebrate you and to celebrate another successful all-out basketball season. Now, speaking of basketball, I have a question for you. And boys and girls, you can participate in this question. Boo, I haven't said anything yet. Jeez, oh man, I get tomatoes thrown at me already. We haven't even started this thing. All right, I want you to take a look at the screen behind me, and I want you to tell, tell me, who do you see? Who do you see when you look at this guy? LeBron James. LeBron James is right. LeBron James is absolutely right. Now, moms and dads, you can participate in this too. If you, if you look a little more closely at this guy back here, you could also see the reigning NBA MVP. He's the league MVP, the reigning MVP. You would also see a two-time NBA world champion, wouldn't you? If you looked a little closer, you might also see a turncoat, all right? Another, another dagger in the heart of Cleveland sports fans. He's left us. If you looked even closer, though, at LeBron James, you might see a young man who was raised by a hardworking and loving single mom who had him when she was only 16 years old. Did you know that? And if you looked even closer at LeBron James, you might find a young boy who at age five had his home condemned and bulldozed by the city of Akron. They lost their home, and I think they moved like a dozen times or something like that in three years. If you looked even closer at this guy, you would also see a husband, and you'd also see a father. LeBron has two boys, LeBron Jr. and Bryce. Here's the point. The point is that we don't always see people as clearly as we think we do. Our minds and our eyes are often clouded by presuppositions, they're often clouded by previous experiences, they're often clouded and influenced by a lack of information. And while it might be a lot of fun today, and maybe frustrating, to do a little study of LeBron's life and to look more closely at his life, I want to invite all of you for just a few minutes to look more closely at Jesus. I want to invite you to take a second look at who Jesus is, and, and I wonder how clearly you're seeing him today. Are there any elements or any components of Jesus' life that we really need to understand in order to see him clearly? Are there any hurdles that we need to jump over to see him clearly? And perhaps most important, how do we see Jesus clearly? And how can we come to see him more clearly? It's with those questions that I'd like to pray for us, and then we're going to open the Bible together for a few minutes. Okay, guys, let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God that speaks to us and a God that reveals himself to us. And so I pray as we open up the Bible together that you would open up our eyes to see Jesus clearly, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, listen, we love the Bible here at Old North, and we love to read the Bible together. So I want to invite you, even boys and girls, to take out a Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you, and open up to page 844. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, open it up, Mark chapter 8, it's in the New Testament. Go ahead, page 844. And families, if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take one of those home with you today. It's our gift to you. So we're going to be on page 844. And Mark is a guy who wrote about Jesus' life. He was a traveling companion of Peter. You might recognize Peter's name, one of Jesus' best friends. And so we're going to read about Jesus' life. The way that we can see him is by reading about him and by studying him and learning his story. And so we're going to pick up, guys, at verse 27. Those are little numbers in your Bibles. And the very first thing that we're going to notice is that 
to see Jesus clearly, we need to be able to see him for who he really is. We can only see Jesus when we see his true identity. Did you know that Jesus has a true identity? And the only way we can see him clearly is to see what that identity is. I want you to read along while I read out loud. Here's verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And other people say Elijah. And other people say one of the prophets. And so he asked them again, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And then he, Jesus, strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And so Jesus is on a road trip with his best friends. He's on a road trip with his best boys. And while they're walking along the road together, he asks them what I think is a pretty interesting question. He says, who are people saying that I am? Now, it's a very strategic question, and, and we need to understand that to this point in Mark's story, he's basically been doing a character profile of Jesus. He's written about his unique birth. He's written about the fact that he is teaching as somebody who has authority, which was very unique. He was writing about the fact that Jesus had power over nature. Jesus had power over sickness. He was healing people. And, and the whole story up to this point is building to this question. Who is this guy? Who is this person? And so Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And at first, they put Jesus in a pretty elite group. They say that people are saying that you're Elijah and that you're a prophet. I mean, it's an important group. It would kind of be like, uh, you're going to have to put up with a lot of basketball illustrations today, by the way, because we're here for all-out basketball. But it would kind of be like taking a young point guard in the NBA like Kyrie Irving and putting him in the same conversation with Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson, and some of the best point guards in the history of the NBA. And so this was pretty exciting. I mean, they say, Jesus, you're important. But Jesus actually pushes them a level further. He pushes them a bit further, and he says, well, that's all well and good, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was the eager spokesperson of Jesus' posse, he answers, we think you're the Christ. I think you're the Christ. And what Peter's doing here is not giving Jesus his last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. He's actually making a really inspired and astounding claim about Jesus' true identity when he calls him the Christ. Because the Christ, or the Messiah, as it would have been called in the Old Testament, was the most anticipated and the most important person in all of human history. This was to be God's chosen king, and not just any king. When Peter calls Jesus the Christ, he's calling him the king. The king. Does anybody like Ohio State here? You know, Ohio State Buckeyes fans? Yeah, we got a couple Buckeyes fans. This would be kind of like when we say the Ohio State University. You, you know what we imply, right, when we say the Ohio State University? We're, we're basically saying that there's a lot of universities in the state of Ohio. There's a lot of colleges. But there's only one, the Ohio State University, right? It's the university above universities. It's distinct. It's unique. It's superior. That's what we mean when we say the Ohio State University. And that's basically what Peter is doing for Jesus here. He's calling him the king. The king to end all kings. The king who would ultimately bring deliverance and freedom and salvation for all of God's people. So... This was a huge, huge deal. And when Peter makes this confession, he says something so important about Jesus' identity. 
there might be more perspectives on who Jesus really is than any other person in the whole world. And so I wonder how you would answer that question. Who would you say that Jesus is? Would you say that uh, he's a good teacher? Would you say that he was a good person? Maybe, maybe you'd say he was a little bit self-deceived. I mean, he went around town talking about how he was the king of kings. He, he went around, he was maybe a little bit self-deceived, a little into himself perhaps. Or maybe you'd say that Jesus is like a, a comforting presence to gullible people in the 21st century when they're feeling sad, they can think about Jesus. But what Mark is showing us here in this little passage is that Jesus is really God's chosen king. And we can never see Jesus clearly until we see him for who he really is. But I think it's so interesting. If you look again at verse 30, Jesus says something so interesting. He's always saying interesting things. He actually tells them to not tell anybody what they have just said. He says, don't tell anybody what you've just said. Is, is because Jesus is just a really humble guy? I mean, why would he say that? This was a cool thing that they just found out about him. The reason is that because in order to see Jesus clearly, we not, only just, we not only need to see him for who he really is, we also need to see what he came to do. Jesus came to the earth with a specific mission, a specific plan, and we'll never see him clearly until we understand what that mission was. Take a look down at your Bibles at verse 33. I'm going to read a couple more verses. And he, meaning Jesus, began to teach them that that the Son of Man, which was a title for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It might make a little more sense now as to why Jesus would say, don't tell anyone about my identity. The reason is because his disciples still weren't seeing him clearly. They, they weren't seeing the whole picture. They got his identity right, but they got his mission wrong. Now, before we get down on the, the dense disciples here, we need to think about what Jesus was really saying when he made these statements. He was saying, I am the king. You've got it right. I am the king. But I'm going to take your paradigm about what you think the king has come to do and how he's come to do it, and I'm going to flip it upside down. I'm going to turn it on its head. He's saying, I'm not going to bring deliverance for God's people through political persuasion. I'm not going to usher in God's kingdom through military force. I'm going to accomplish by my mission by suffering, by going to the cross, and, and ultimately by dying. And this would have been a weird thing for the disciples to hear. Let me give you another illustration. Uh, I think the Oklahoma City Thunder is going to be in the Western Conference Finals again this year. You guys know Kevin Durant, a really, really good basketball player that plays on Oklahoma City. I think they're going to the Western Conference Finals again this year. And so imagine with me for a minute, it's the Western Conference Finals, and Kevin Durant is getting his team all hyped up, right? They're in the huddle, and you know they do those cool dances and those cool chants and things like that in the huddle. So KD is getting his team excited, and he says, I'm going to lead us to victory tonight. I'm going to put the team on my back, and I'm going to carry us through the victory into the Western Conference Finals. Just get me the ball tonight, and I will win the victory. And the way I'm going to do that is by turning the ball over 20 times and shooting 5% from the field. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, that's not how you win. But that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm going to accomplish this great victory 
by dying. That's what I came to do. And if you want to see me clearly, you have to understand this. Peter, of course, uh, doesn't like this. And so being eager again to speak, he says, no, no, Jesus, you'll, ne- you'll not lead us to victory if you're dead. Can I just remind you of that? I mean, did you miss that? And Peter's forcing his agenda on Jesus. And of course, as we saw from that story, that that's something that we can't do. We can't force our agenda on the king. He came with a mission, and his mission was to get to the cross. I wonder what your interpretation of Jesus' mission would be. How would you answer that question? What did Jesus really come to do? Did he come to contribute a few pithy teachings to the libraries of human history? Did he come to, to feed the poor and teach us how to do social justice? He did. He did do those things. But the core of his mission, the core of what Jesus came to do was centered on the fact that he was coming to the earth to die. He was coming to the earth to sacrifice himself for the people that he loved so much. Boys and girls, have you seen the movie Frozen? Have you seen it? Do you like that movie? I know, I love it. I, we just, it came out on digital release this week. We bought it when it came out. And my family, we watched it on Friday night. And I think Frozen is actually one of the best Disney movies that they've made in years. And by the way, I need to say, there's a spoiler alert coming. So if you've not yet seen Frozen, just plug your ears or do something else. But, but the, the twist in Frozen, it's a really cool twist because the thread that runs throughout the movie is that salvation comes through sacrifice. At the end of the movie, just when you think that, that it's true love's kiss, right, the predictable true love's kiss that's going to solve all the problems and provide salvation, the movie takes a twist, and it's actually Anna's sacrifice. It's her death that saves her sister. It's her sacrifice that saves all the people of Arendelle, and that is the twist of the movie, and it's kind of like what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross. Only Jesus' sacrifice goes a step further. It goes a step beyond even the the cool sacrifice, the sacrifice of love that we saw in that movie Frozen. Jesus' sacrifice goes a step further because his death provides the necessary payment to satisfy God's justice for all of the injustice that we have created. And so Jesus provides the perfect payment for our sins. It's what the Bible calls sin, our rebellion against God. And it's remarkable. Jesus came to give himself for his people. And we're not going to see him clearly until we see what he came to do. So we, we, we figured out that we're not going to see Jesus clearly until we've seen who he really is. Until we figured his identity out. And we're not going to see him clearly until we figured out his mission. But the big question that we started the morning with was not the who or the what. It was the how. How can we see Jesus more clearly, right? How can we come to know him and see him more clearly? And to answer that question, to get to the big answer of the big question, I want you to flip back one page in your Bibles to the beginning of Mark 8. Now, we don't have time to read the whole thing today, but I just want to show you and take you on a little journey, the way that Mark has crafted chapter 8. It's really interesting because it points to the answer of that big question. How do we see Jesus clearly? At the beginning of Mark chapter 8, Jesus performs this really cool miracle. He performs this incredible miracle, and he feeds thousands of people with just a few loaves of Schwabel's white bread. It's remarkable. So he performs this miracle, and then immediately following that miracle, if you let your eye fall down the page a bit, this group of religious, very religious but very hypocritical leaders called the Pharisees ask him in verse 11 for a sign from heaven. A sign. 
Apparently, they missed the Schwabels miracle that, that just happened before that. And so they, they didn't really want a sign. The problem there is that they weren't seeing Jesus. They weren't seeing him clearly. The very next event, beginning in verse 14, is an interaction with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is actually warning them about the danger, the influence, and the teaching of this religious group called the Pharisees. And his disciples totally miss the point, and they start arguing over the fact that they don't have any bread with them. Apparently, they forgot that Jesus could do a lot with just a few pieces of white bread. And so they're not seeing Jesus clearly either. The Pharisees aren't seeing him clearly. The disciples aren't seeing him clearly. In verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, having eyes, do you not see? So have you picked up what Mark is just showing us? He's waving a red flag here in the text. Everyone is blind. Everybody in this story, the good people, the bad people, the religious people, the people closest to Jesus, the people furthest from Jesus, everybody's blind. Even Peter, as we read, only sees in part. So what's the answer? How do we see Jesus clearly? The answer Mark shows us is in this little story that he puts in in verse 22. In verse 22, sandwiched right in the middle of Mark chapter 8, all of this blindness, Jesus puts a story of Jesus healing a blind man. And he heals him to the point in verse 25 where his sight is fully restored and he sees everything clearly, verse 25 says. This is not an accident that Mark puts this miracle. He puts this miracle here to tell a lesson, to teach a lesson. And he's trying to show us that we're all blind. We, even today, share that same sense of spiritual blindness. It's one of the things that sin does to us is it shuts our eyes to the beauty of who God is. So the only way that we can see Jesus clearly is when he opens up our eyes. And he opens up our eyes so that we can follow him. It's the only way we'll ever see him clearly. That's what Mark is, is showing us here in this story. The only way you can really see Jesus clearly is when you come to him and say, Jesus, I can't see. I'm blind. Will you help me to see who you are? Will you help me to see the beauty and the sufficiency of your sacrifice for my salvation? You know what it's called when you do that? That's called faith. Faith is allowing someone to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. Faith is relying on someone else to take care of you. And that's what it means to come to Jesus, to count on his identity and his mission and his sacrificial work on the cross to provide the salvation and the sight that we so very much need. And then once your eyes are opened, even if things are still a little bit foggy, like they were for the blind man, if you read that story, and like they were for Peter, the only thing left to do is to follow the one who healed you. We see Jesus clearly when he opens our eyes to follow him. And we're going to close this morning by looking at a couple of verses at the end of Mark chapter 8. Check out verses 34 and 35 with me. Jesus says something remarkable here. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples and he says this, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. We have so many ideas, don't we, about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, for some of us, we think that, you know, our lives are pretty well together. We, we, we've got pretty good balance of things happening in our lives. Just pepper in a little bit of Jesus, and that'll help make us more well-rounded. That's really what following Jesus means. 
Some of us think that following Jesus is really just about keeping a bunch of rules or being a good person. But what Jesus is saying here is that following him is essentially a call to come and to die. It's a call to to give up our entire lives for him. It's a call to lay down our self-promoting ambitions. It's it's a call to lay down our so-called rights and our, our selfish ambitions. It's a call to to fight against our natural tendency, right, to make ourselves the center of our universe, and it's a call to make Jesus the center of our universe. And the twist, the incredible twist of the gospel story is that in giving up our lives, in losing our lives for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel, we actually find life. In losing life, we actually find it. That's the twist of the story. Guys may have heard of C.S. Lewis. Boys and girls, have you ever read uh, The Chronicles of Narnia? This is maybe some of you too young. Have you seen the movies, The Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, yeah. Well, many more have seen the movies. What a society we've created. Lots of movies, not a lot of books. No, but maybe uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, you'll start to read The Chronicles of Narnia. But another one of C.S. Lewis's famous books is called Mere Christianity. And the way that he finishes that book speaks so well to what we're talking about here, this idea that we see Jesus clearly when he opens our eyes to follow him. And so here's what C.S. Lewis says about following Jesus. He says, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll actually save it. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you've not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that's not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself And you'll find in the long run only loneliness and despair and ruin and decay. But look for Jesus, see Jesus, and you will find him. And with him, everything else will be thrown in. That's the twist of the gospel story, that in losing our life, we actually find it. Now, in your uh, bulletins today, and also in the pew racks in front of you, there's a, a red response card. It's got the all-out sports logo on it. I want you to just pull that out for a second. If you've got a compass or you, you don't have a compass, but right in the pew rack in front of you, there's a red card. And uh, on the back of that card, there are two little boxes, two little lines that you can check off. The first one says, I'm interested in learning more about what it means to see and follow Jesus. The second one says, Jesus opened my eyes today to see and to follow him. I I wonder if there's anybody in the room, boys and girls, moms and dads, that, that either of those two statements applies to you. And if they do, we would love to hear about that. If somehow through our little talk this morning and through the entire all out basketball season, you find yourself interested in seeing Jesus more clearly and following him, would you just write your first name in a way that we can contact you on the back of that card? Uh, There's nothing you need to do with it. If you just leave it on the pew as you exit today, we'll be glad to pick those up. And and, and myself or one of our other pastors or staff would love the chance to follow up with you to help maybe answer some of those questions, to help you take the next steps and what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And we would love to rejoice with you if even today you found yourself open and your eyes opened to seeing Jesus and to following him. Fill out your name even now, a little way we can contact you. Check one of those boxes. We would love the chance to follow up with you. Well, with that, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dismiss. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're filling out one of those cards, you can feel free to continue to fill that out. And again, just leave it right on the pew as you exit. We would love the chance to follow up with you. Father, thank you for the gift of our children, the gift of families. I pray that you would help us to appreciate and savor that gift, and yet that we would also 
understand the centrality of Jesus in that gift, that we would love him the most, that we would see him the most clearly. And I thank you for the chance to do that today as a church family, as friends and guests of our church. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to celebrate the truth of who Jesus is, that he really is the king, and he came with a mission the mission of the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. And it's, a, it's something that we can connect to by faith if we just believe that Jesus really can heal us, that he really can open up our eyes. And so I pray that even now there would be people here that are having their eyes open to the beauty of who he is and turn to him to follow him, we pray in his name. Amen.